and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Pew Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And that's right. If you put a 225 in front of that number, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We certainly appreciate hearing from you. Just give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's it. People out of state or even out of the country. That's right. Have different problems than we have in South Louisiana. So it's real nice to kind of get a perspective of what's going on even around the world. That's right. I get a lot of email from all over the place. A lot of people don't call in because they listen to us on a podcast. And uh-huh. they, of course, by the time they're listening, the show's already over with. Right. But, uh, of course, you can go to iHeartRadio. You can actually listen to us live, a live feed, and you can go on our website. If you click on podcast, when it goes to that page, there's going to be a little stopwatch right there on the left-hand side of the page. Correct. And if you are one hour before the show, that means 9 o'clock or later, Central Standard Time. Correct. You just click on that little watch, and it'll bring you straight to a live feed, so you don't even have to worry about trying to think all those URLs and all of them. That's it. And when the show stuff starts <laughs> here, it starts there. So That's right. That way you can listen live and in person. Try to give us a call, and we'll put you on the air. Hey, we're going to our phone lines with Tom. Good morning, Tom. Hey, good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Doing great. Okay, look, I need some help here, or at least some advice. Okay. I have a 2001 Dodge Ram. I got my air conditioner on right now as we speak, mm-hmm. but it's likely to stop blowing cold air before I get home. I'm about five miles from the house. Okay. It does this pretty consistently. I'm just wondering if y'all might have an idea what might be going on. It's there, mm-hmm. it'll stop. Now, if I go 60, yes, sir. I say on Interstate 10, for instance, to drive an hour and a half, it won't go off. Okay. Tom, what I'm going to suspect on that, because it's very, very common, now this isn't the only thing that can cause that, but the most likely thing is that your condenser cooling fan is either not working or not working all the time. And that was very, very common. Now, what happens is that when you come to a stop, like say you're driving for a while and you pull up in traffic or whatever, that condenser cooling fan is absolutely necessary. It has to pull air through the condenser to give off the heat that the evaporator is removing from the inside the car. Now, if it's not turning or it's not turning fast enough, what's going to happen is the high side head pressure is going to go sky high. When it does, either the sensor is going to shut the compressor off if it's so equipped. If it's not, the high side pressure is going to make the clutch overload and it's going to kick out. So either way, it's going to quit turning. And what I would do is just crank it up, let it run, and watch that fan so with the AC on it should run all the time. Yes, you kind of gave it away when you said you're driving on the interstate, it doesn't do it. You see, because you got 60-mile-an-hour wind blowing through there, so you don't need the fan going down the interstate. So if it works fine at high speed and goes out when you're driving in traffic or driving slow, that would be the most common thing. Now, now there's also a chance that that fan is not turning fast enough. Right. Just because it's turning does not necessarily mean, because it actually has a chip and varies the speed based on the load, and it can be turning at a low speed, not moving enough air, so... If, just because it's turning doesn't mean it's turning properly. you got to make sure it's moving enough air. The easiest way to detect that is actually to put a set of gauges on the AC compressor and watch the two pressures. And the high side pressure, if it's going too high, and there's a chart that tells you exactly how much it's supposed to be, but if you take the ambient temperature, okay, like let's say it's 70 degrees outside, double the ambient temperature, so 70 and 70 would be 140, and add 40 degrees to that. So about 180 would be the normal high side pressure, and that's just a general rule of thumb. It's not exact, but if you double the ambient temperature plus 40 degrees, it's pretty close to what the high side's supposed to be. So let's say the high side's supposed to be around 200 pounds, and it's reading 350. Well, you're not moving enough air through that condenser. I got you. All righty. 
Okay, good deal. All right. Uh, thank you yep. very much. Appreciate y'all time. Yes, sir. Sure appreciate you calling, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That is one of the most common maladies of an air conditioning system and goes misdiagnosed more than anything else I've seen. It very much does for some of the fact that you don't get the right information when the car is brought to you mm-hmm. to be repaired. Mm-hmm. The person repairing the car needs to ask the correct questions to narrow this problem down. That's right. It happens two or three times a week around the shop. Yeah, well, you know? what happens, let's say the customer comes to the shop and they say, my AC is not getting cool enough. Well, the first thing the shop's going to do, they're going to crank it up, they're going to put a thermometer in the blower Fence. thing, and let's say it's blowing 50 degrees and it's supposed to be blowing in the high 40 somewhere. Okay, well, yeah, it's not blowing cool enough. So the first thing they do is they'll evacuate it, and they say, okay, it's about three-quarters of a pound low on refrigerant. So they charge it up, vacuum it, charge it. Okay, now it's blowing 48 degrees out of the blower. They drive it. It's blowing 48. Everything's good. They give it back to the customer. Well, now the customer's all ticked off because it's still not cooling. But what he didn't say is it doesn't cool well after I drive it for 10 miles and then come to a stop. Correct. And the shop is just not going to be able to know. They can't read your mind. So if you don't give them the proper complaint, it may have not been cooling right. But So you assume that what it's blowing is okay, but then when it quits cooling completely, then you say, well, now it's not cooling right. So miscommunication, and what happens, you get the car back, and still you go drive it 10, 15, 20 miles. You come to a stop, and it quits cooling. Well, that's a whole different issue. Sure. And see, that can be an intermittent thing because a lot of times what happens with those cooling fans, they may turn just fine most of the time. Uh-huh. But occasionally they may get overheated. And the chip may go bad. They may shut down. So it's only every once in a while. Now, if you just say that it's not cooling properly, they go in, they check it, it's turning fine. They do check the fan. It is working good. Well, there's no way to know that it's working good now. It's going to quit working in 20 minutes. Right. Any symptoms you can give the technician trying to fix your car mm-hmm. is going to speed up the process tremendously. Right. And what... A lot of people will actually do their call and say, look, I need you to put some refrigerant in my car. Right. Well, they have misdiagnosed the problem themselves, and there are shops out there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, bring it in. We'll do it. it. Yeah. Now, see, what happens, let's say you just get to the wrong guy, or let's say you go to your neighbor, and he says, okay, yeah, let's put some more gas in it. Well, a lot of the systems today only hold 12 to 16 ounces of refrigerant. That's Correct. a full charge. Right, from the yesterday of two, three pounds. Well, four to five pounds of some of the old cars. But if you got a 12-ounce system, you go in and you dump another can in there. Well, now it is overcharged, 100% overcharged, and the condenser fan is not working, which is already running the head pressure sky high. So then the, the excess now pressure. Now it blows the compressor off of the motor because the compressor is just laboring, already laboring because it didn't have a condenser fan. Now it's overcharged, so it explodes the compressor, slings metal all through the system. Now the condenser is taken out, the dryer is taken out, the expansion valve is taken out. If it's a dual-zone air conditioning system, now the rear expansion valve is probably taken out. You just took probably a $200 problem and turned it into a $3,000 problem. If it can be repaired. Yeah, I mean, it really, really, really easy to misdiagnose that kind of stuff. And that's just the absolute worst thing that you can do is just go in there and blindly start doing stuff. It's sort of like, you know, I don't feel good, so I'm going to go take some nitroglycerin. Right. <laughs> Fortunately, with drugs, they don't allow people access to things that will hurt them, but with car parts, they do. I mean, you can just go and buy anything you want and many times do a whole lot of damage to your car. You don't do that. You have to have some checks 
made and find out why you're not feeling good because you may not be feeling good because you got low blood pressure. Exactly. So you go take some blood pressure medicine, lower your blood pressure even, even more, more. And you die. Now you got no blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. yeah, you just don't go in and start doing things without knowing what you're doing and without understanding what you're doing. That's the big thing is understanding how the system works to understand how to fix it. Mm -hmm. That's right, because I tell you, the days of just throwing parts at something and actually fixing it have long, long, long since been gone. And what happens today is that you actually make things way, way, way worse. Sure. Email from a gentleman yesterday, and I really kind of felt sorry for him, but this a fella in Florida, and he says, I think the symptoms were it lacked power and some stuff like that. And he rattled off a list of about probably a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars worth of stuff he's changed. Wow! And he's still got the same problem. And now he wants to change the catalytic converter because he thinks maybe that's bad. And you say, well, it's very, very easy to test that. I mean, all you have to do is test for back pressure. Sure. That's a very simple test. Probably takes less than ten minutes to see if the converter's even the problem. He didn't mention ever checking the fuel pressure, which is more likely a problem with low power. But he also mentioned right at the end of his email that he had had the timing belt replaced, and well, he said that can't be it because it starts. I said, well, it can be a tooth off or two teeth off, and it will still start and run. Sure. It just won't have power exactly like you're talking about. So if this started back then, you might want to say, well, a good mechanic. that did, Well, yeah, it may be a good mechanic, but he can still make a mistake. Exactly. He can still get that timing belt a tooth off. And if that's when the problem started, but he had gone in and changed, I don't remember all what, but I mean a big old long list of stuff. And see, there's always an opportunity when you're putting all the stuff on. Number one, if you go into a parts store, you're probably not getting as good of stuff as what you're taking off. That's for fact. You may put it on wrong. You may create a second problem. You may have the wrong part that you've got on there now. So you're just getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and not even ever getting close to the problem. And Two little simple tests, fuel pressure check and an exhaust back pressure check. Probably both of those would take, what, less than a half an hour? Probably. 45 minutes at Depending most. Depending on the vehicle. Well, that could have eliminated 75% of the stuff you've already changed. Sure. And brought you closer to finding the actual problem. Now, if the problem is actually the timing belt is off a tooth, that's going to be a little more involved to find out because you probably got to pull the timing cover back off. Check the marks and check the timing. Right. I mean, you might be able to look at some of the data that's available on later model cars. For instance, let's say the fuel trim is low on one bank and high on the other. Right. Well, that would be an indication that one bank is probably off. Some of the real new cars will actually show you cam timing, and you can actually look at the cam timing and see if it's off. But those are the kind of things, possibly like some misfires on four cylinders on one bank or three cylinders on one bank or something like that might give you some indication that, yeah, probably the cam timing is off here. But beyond that, to actually verify that, you're going to have to probably pull the timing cover off and check, some, check the timing more. Some of those are easy to get the covers off of, and some of them take several hours to get down to. Yeah. Just the configurations and the way they're put in the vehicles now. Well, that's right. Let's say you got a PT Cruiser with a turbo on it. You're oh going to almost have to pull the engine out to even get the timing cover I off. I think that's the first thing in the breakdown for removal of anything. <laughs> Take the engine out. Yeah, remove engine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that car is really, really crowded. And it a lot is. of them are. Now, there are some cars that are relatively easy. Sure. I've seen some of them. You can actually take the upper timing cover off in probably 10, 15 minutes. Right. And that's not the norm. Most of them are going to take you probably two to three hours to get enough stuff out of the way where you can see the timing gears and see the uh, the belts, belts and, and right. all that stuff to see if it is all lined up right. But yeah, if it is off timing enough, 
then it's probably not going to run, and the valves may hit the pistons and all that kind of stuff. But it can be off one tooth. You figure if the sprocket's got maybe 25, 30 teeth, one tooth is not going to throw it off that much. It will still start and, and it will still, still run. run. Exactly. It's just not going to run like it should. Because the timing is not there. The fuel's not getting there at the same time the compression is. Right. Probably is going to lack power and may even have a misfire, may even have an overheat problem. But those were kind of the sort of symptoms that he had. So, anyway, you don't want to just go in and start throwing parts blindly at a problem because sure. you can really, really rack up a big old bill and not even get close to where your problem is. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Why don't you give us a call? It's 499-9526. Of course, you put a 225 in front of there, and you can reach us from anywhere in the continental United States. And should you happen not to want to get on the air today or maybe think of something to ask us after the show goes off the air mm-hmm. at 11 o'clock today, That's right. you can always visit our website and get your questions answered that way. You can send Louis an email any time of the day or night and get it back within 24 hours. Just by going to www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. And that contact bar, you fill out a little form, send it in, and Lewis will get it back to you with your answered question. Yeah, most of the time a lot sooner because I do spend quite a bit of time in front of a computer. And if I happen to be there and email comes in, generally within 10, 15 minutes, I'll go ahead and send uh-huh. an answer back to you. I had a fellow email this morning from Pennsylvania, and I just happened to be sitting at the computer, so got to answer right straight back That's great. to him. So. Yeah, don't mind that at all. In fact, we take a lot of the information from emails and work that into news articles and stuff, information that we put on the site. I've had people go to the site like, wow, where did all this come from? (laughs) (laughs) Hours and hours and hours and hours of work. But we've got all kinds of things to do on that site. One of the most powerful parts of it, I think, is the detailed topic section. And that's there's probably well over 350 of those on there. That will take a specific topic and break it down and give you a lot more information on it. Like, for instance, if you want to know about, say, oil viscosity, what is oil viscosity? It'll tell you all about what it is, how it's tested, what it means, all that sort of thing. How often should you change your oil? Because everybody's got an opinion on that. And right. Some are okay, some are not. But this gives you several articles on that. What's a timing belt? Well, all that information is right there. I put one on this morning that I think is particularly good for people who like to do some of their own work, and it's about voltage drop testing. And this is a technique that's been around for years and years and years, but even a lot of professional mechanics are just not familiar with the technique. 
It's extremely powerful on anything that you can turn on. You can turn that circuit on, then you can test it with uh-huh. voltage drop test. And it is much, much, much more powerful, way more information than you can get a lot of other ways. And it goes through a couple of examples of how you can apply this knowledge. And next week will be a follow-up article with just more examples of how to apply the same knowledge. But very, very simple to use. All you need is a voltmeter. Digital voltmeter is best, of course, but you can buy a digital voltmeter. You can buy a cheap one for probably five, oh, five, five six ten bucks. bucks. Yeah. I would suggest if you're serious about it, go ahead and pony up the bucks and get a little better one. I think you can buy a basic fluke meter, which is one of the real nice brands. Around $120, $530. That's going to be a serious tool that can do some real work for you. And you can spend $1,000 away on up, probably $3,000 on a fluke meter if you really wanted to. You want oh, it, sure. They do all kind of stuff. It's going to have a lot of features you're probably never, ever, ever going to use. But but the fluke meter's always been a good quality tool. I think their basic meter is maybe the 114 model nowadays. It changes from year to year. I'm not really certain about that. But go to fluke website. It's going to show you exactly what meters are available and how much they cost and what features they have. That voltmeter, digital volt ohm meter, it measures ohms. It measures volts. It'll probably measure duty cycle. It'll measure continuity. Checks a lot of stuff. Real good heavy-duty tool. Uh-huh. Accurate. And if you're going to do some serious work and you want to be able to maintain your cars maybe you do you enjoy doing this kind of work it would pay you to go ahead and invest in something like that even if you've got an older car not necessarily a newer car but even an older even a classic car Mm -hmm. this meter like that will come just do wonders for you oh yeah i had a guy that came in the shop just this week had a little toyota that would not crank in other words you'd hit the key and it would not crank Uh he had changed the battery and he had changed the starter and it was an intermittent problem. It would crank three or four times, and then you'd hit it and go click, click. Well, he changed the starter, didn't do it. So he says, well, okay, I, my bad. I bought an aftermarket starter. It ain't no good. He goes to Toyota and buys another starter. Wow. Puts it on the same thing. Click, click. Every once in a while, it won't start. Okay. So he brings it in, and the first thing we did was a voltage drop test. And I took and ran a lead from the battery ground to the starter ground, hit the switch, one-tenth of a volt. Wow. So that's perfect. You know, real good connection. I ran it to the positive terminal and ran to the positive battery terminal, hit the switch, and I got two volts. So two volts is flowing around that circuit. Hit it again, it goes click, and I'm pulling 11 volts around the circuit. Wow. Did a little bit of looking, and the wire came out of the battery terminal and it was fine there the battery terminal was fairly new but it went down it branched off and if you cut the tape off the wiring cable split the insulation it was just full of green and white powder and really what, hey yeah it had battery acid had ran down inside the sheath of the cable leached up in there the connection and we took and clipped that cable off spliced a new piece on problem fixed wow but that just shows you how powerful the volt drop test can be. Very simple to do, and there's plenty of examples, plenty of pictures. And next week there'll be even more information on it. But that's a technique that every enthusiast needs to know, needs to be aware of. Right. Finding problems with, like, why are your headlights not bright enough? Well, this is the way to find it. And not only will it find the problem, it'll tell you if it's on the ground side or the power side. So you know right where to start looking. That's great. Oh, yeah. I mean, problems even, like, with transmission problems where – I've got an example, and this is a true problem from in the shop. A fella came in, and I think it was a Honda, and it was throwing a code for not going into lockup. Well, the first thing he did is he went in, and he was a little bit sharper than the average bear. 
he took a voltmeter and he put it across two terminals and he said command it lock up and it had 12 volts so he says okay well i've got power and signal here so it's got to be the solenoid okay change solenoid still got the same problem well at that point he says, well okay it ain't the solenoid it's got to be the torque converter so he's just about ready to take this transmission out and change oh, wow. the torque converter on a honda yeah man that is a job big big job absolutely and expensive yeah and one of his friends said, look, why don't you bring it to AGCO and let them just verify this? Well, I know, I already know what it is. Anyway, long story short, he did bring it in. First thing we did, went in, checked. You do have 12 volts across power and ground. If you ran a wire between the input side of the solenoid and the battery, command lockup, one-tenth of a volt flowing around, everything's good. Go to the ground side, got about two volts flowing around. Hmm. So... Long story short, we go in, and the ground, which is about probably 100 feet away on this particular car through the wiring harness, is frayed. It's got one little strand of wire still holding on the ground. So it can conduct 12 volts with no load. Sure. So a voltmeter has basically no current needs. It can read just microamps of current. So it could read the 12 volts. It was there. But when that solenoid went to kick in, it draws amperage, and it can't flow the amperage through through that. that. So the amperage starts flowing around the circuit with a voltmeter you can pick it up we knew it was in a ground circuit i just had to go back and find it replace the end on the ground cable uh-huh take the car down the road everything's fine shifts over uh, into lockup everything's good but that one little simple test just prevented probably fifteen hundred dollar repair oh that easy. W- still would not have fixed the problem exactly that's the killer of it it still would not have fixed the problem even had he put a torque converter and i have seen people actually go in and change the transmission sure stuff like that sure and on a, i've seen on shops the, do that <laughs> yeah on any honda yeah that they're or any car there well just let's just take honda for example yeah. their front wheel drive the transmission's on the side of the engine is sitting in there sideways mm-hmm. i watched josh take them out all day long mm-hmm. it takes him two and a half to three hours to get right. one out that is something you do not want to even attempt in a driveway. Probably take the average do-it-yourself for six hours to get it out, Ooh. and probably six hours to get it back in. And you may break some wires. You may break some stuff. You may right. hook something up wrong. You may create all kinds of problems along the way and right. still not even get close to fixing the problem. Because some of the things that have to come off are just, man, outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one more quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flaves, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boos off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me and take your vehicle to Agco where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco. It's the place to go. Might have caused the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it, but I can't get 
Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526, and we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. 225 in front of that, and we'll talk to anybody inside the continental United States with that number. Boy, that's right. We were talking about how things are different in different areas, uh-huh. and temperatures is, of course, one of the big things. Boy, I tell you, you could not ask for a prettier day than what we've got out there today. We paid for it last night, <laughs> but we got a pretty day today. God, it's been so, so hot. It's been high 90s for weeks, several weeks, and then, of course, yeah. we got a pretty good storm last night, pretty good rain shower, but, boy, it was about, yeah. about 70, 75 out there this morning. I, I'm not sure how cool it is out there this morning, but anything beats 90 degrees. <laughs> a, a welcome respite there, That's boy. what I'm talking about. <laughs> I had a caller off the air during the break, and he was asking if we could talk just a little bit about oil and different types of oil. And uh-huh. I can't mention brand names on the air just because I don't want to step on anybody's feet or say right. anything out of school. But he was saying, well, is one type of oil better than another type? And I don't think the word better is really applicable. There are different oils for different purposes. And there are literally thousands of formulations of oil out that each one is designed to do a specific job. And there are specifications for instance, a lot of the newer cars will require, they'll say, must use all that meets specification, yak, 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 whatever uh-huh. the number may be. Now, in many cases, they may not say you have to use a synthetic oil. However, only a synthetic oil can meet those specifications. Correct. So that is what they're implying by that. But the old days of just buying a can of oil and dumping it in the car, like when you used to have 30-weight non-detergent, and that fit every kind of car that was ever made. Uh-huh. Just long, long, long since gone. Another issue is viscosity is only one measure of an oil. There are just basically dozens of other specifications that it has to meet. Oil is doing so much more than just lubricating the engine nowadays. Right. you got variable cam timing it controls. controlling that. You've got timing belt tensioners it controls, Mm -hmm. timing chain tensioners it controls. The Uh, wrong direct injection pump. Maybe running that. Right. That's to run by oil pressure. Injectors on a diesel normally run by oil pressure. I mean, there are just all kinds of things. These cars are incredibly more difficult and more complex than what they were at one time. And with complexity comes expense. Well, that goes hand in hand. Right. And what happens, I had a guy one time that was on a forum. I just happened to read it, and he says, well, I put 15W40 in it. Okay, well, that's great. You know? Yeah, it may have worked for you. It may, it, but I'm just telling you, if you do that, you're probably going to take out the catalytic converter because you've got a crankshaft beating through this thick oil now, and it's not going to lubricate any better. Contrary to your common belief, thicker oil is not necessarily a better lubricant. Right. It's simply a different lubricant. If the engine is designed for that and has the excessive clearances to allow the thicker oil in, then that's fine. But on a modern-day engine with select-fit bearings where the tolerances are so tight, you may only have a half a thousandth of clearance on a rod bearing. Uh Uh-huh. 15W40 is not going to get in at a proper time, particularly when it's cold, and you may end up burning the engine up. You're right. not getting better because you're going wrong. You know, it's not one of those deals where some is good, more is better. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. There's a right amount. A lot of newer cars are calling for zero W20 motor oil. And what that means is that when the oil is cold, it can flow very, very, very easily. And that allows it to get into all the spaces and stuff that it needs to get into to lubricate that engine. When it's cold. When it's cold and higher temperatures, it doesn't really need the thick, thick oil because it's designed to run on a 20-weight oil. Uh Now, 
What that does also, when you put a thicker oil in your car than what it requires, the crankshaft is turning, creating a lot of what they call windage. Windage tends to pick up the oil out of the reservoir and sling it around inside the crankcase. That produces a vapor, and that vapor is floating around inside the engine, and it gets sucked out by the PCV system. Now, when it goes out, it's going out through a vacuum hose, which takes it through the motor, which burns it, and then kicks it out on the exhaust side, and now the catalytic converter's got to deal with all these oil fumes coming out of it. That it's not designed to deal with. Well, it's like throwing gas on a fire. The catalytic converter's already 1,000 to 1,500 degrees, and you're throwing fuel in it, so the temperature's going sky high. Right. You end up cooking a catalytic converter that costs 1,500 bucks because you put the wrong oil in the car. And this doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. Sure. And so... And really, most people don't realize what's going on. The catalytic converter stopped up. They have it changed out. Year or two down the line, another one goes out. Well, Nobody yeah. can figure out why. Yeah, I don't know why, but because it's, somebody's putting the wrong, wrong oil, oil in the in car. It. But oil is basically rated, and you have an API, which is the probably the largest rating entity in the United States. stands for American Petroleum Institute. And that's that little donut-looking seal on the top, and it'll say something like API rating S-N. S-N is, is the latest and greatest. Okay. As in Sierra November. And if it meets S-N, then it's going to be probably the most advanced oil formulation out. And, of course, the international community has a different rating. They go by ILSAC, which is the International Lubrication Standardization and Approval Committee. And their rating, I think the latest and greatest, is GF5, which came out in October 2010. And that's similar to API's ratings. Some of the manufacturers, like General Motors, have actually come up with their own rating system. And they have what they call DEXOS, D-E-X-O-S. And Dexos is not an oil, it is a specification for oil. oil. And to meet the Dexos standard, an oil has to apply to General Motors, read that, give them some money. Yeah. (laughs) And it has to meet certain standards. Now, take Mobile One, for instance, actually exceeded the Dexos spec before Dexos even came out. Correct. In order for Mobile One to put the Dexos logo on their bottles, they've got to pay GM how about that? A kickback or a tribute or whatever you call it. <laughs> a royalty. Or but if you don't have that little logo on the bottle of oil that you're using, GM has the wherewithal to cancel your warranty on your vehicle if you sure. have a lubrication-related problem. Yep. So if you got a 2011 or later model GM vehicle, make sure the oil you're using meets Dexos standards. Now, there are some oil companies who have an oil that actually meets or exceeds Dexos, but they're not going to cough up the bucks to GM. Exactly. So they don't have the logo on their bottle. Now, does that mean it's okay to use it? Well, not according to what General Motors is saying. They're saying if that logo is not on the bottle, they're not honoring the warranty. Correct. So maybe it's a shakedown. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But if it was me and I wanted to preserve the warranty on my car, then I would have to play by their rules. Uh, at least till the warranty's out. <laughs> at least till the warranty's out. But... To get back to the original question, what oil is the better oil or what's the best oil? Well, I think most of the major oil producers, be it Castrol or Vaveline or I don't know all the ExxonMobil or I hope I didn't leave anybody out, but most of the major brands, their products are good and they're all going to meet the standards that they claim to meet. Correct. You just have to have the right oil for your application. We run into a lot of problems with Ford products. Because a lot of the 5.4-liter V8s and such, and even a lot of their other engines, actually call for 5W20 synthetic blend. 
And that's really not an option on that engine. Uh-huh. They're not saying, well, this would be better to use this. They're saying it requires this. This right. is what it takes to run this engine. And people seem to overlook that, and they go grab a bottle of 5W20, regular old standard conventional oil, uh-huh. and it may not meet the standards. Right. It may, but it probably doesn't. So what happens is you get down the road, and next thing you know, you crank it up in the morning, you hear a rattling noise. Well, that rattling noise is a timing chain beating against timing cover because the chain guide's broken or worn out because it had the wrong oil in it. We, we did a, a vehicle the other day. The guy was broke on. That's right. And that, that's a major deal. The whole front of the engine's got to come down. But you're lucky on the 4.6 and the 5.4 that the cha- all the chains are on the front. That's right. Now, the little 4, four liter, liter, yes, sir. It's actually got two chains on the front and then a chain on the back of the engine right. that runs the other head. So you actually have to take the engine out of the vehicle. Out of the vehicle to, to get To access that, to, mm-hmm. to access the chain back there. So and if you're unfortunate enough to own one of the General Motors products that has the 3.6 liter, which a lot of them does. Right. A lot of your Saturns and some of your Chevrolets, even your Cadillac CTS has that 3.6 liter engine in it. Those are kind of notorious for jumping timing. Right. And if you ever saw one of those engines torn down, you'll notice the teeth on the timing gears are extremely shallow. I mean, there's not much grip at all. Right. If you've actually seen a small block V8 timing chain gear mm-hmm. and you compare it to this one, there's worlds of difference. Oh, yeah. The teeth are a lot smaller, a lot shorter. A small block has probably almost a half-inch deep tooth on right. the timing sprocket. This thing has maybe a 3 of an inch deep tooth. And it's got multiple chains. It's got like three chains on it. And to me, it's a pretty weak design to start with. Right. And in the later models where they put direct injection, they threw the direct injection pump on the camshaft on the driver's side head in the back, which actually are on the left side of the head, should I say, actually grossly increases the load on that camshaft. Sure. You've already got a very marginal timing chain, and now you've increased the load on it. Someone puts the wrong oil in it and then pushes the oil change out. Man, you got a perfect storm of problems, kind of like the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not that, one thing killed it; just a whole bunch of stuff. That is a major, major repair. Oh yeah, engines coming out of the car, and you're probably gonna be about twenty five hundred bucks lighter after you learn that lesson. Right. If the valves don't hit the pistons. Right. If, if they, they do, do then you, right. you can knock about another four grand on top of that for a motor, and still the same amount of labor involved doing it all. But yeah, I've read on the internet where some of those vehicles as low as twenty and twenty-five thousand miles are jumping timing. Wow! Because, like I say, it's a marginal design to start with. You get someone putting the wrong oil and then pushing the change out beyond that, and you are really you start stretching those chains a little bit. It's gonna jump over that sprocket, and first thing you know, check engine light's gonna pop on, and somebody's gonna be giving you some real bad news. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Thank you, guys, for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yes, look, sir. I maintain four cars with my wife, mine, and my kids. All right, and sir. they're older cars anywhere from probably 140 to 220,000 miles Okay, good. Each. Mm-hmm. I've always changed the oil. I do it myself. Mm-hmm. Good okay. deal. I've always changed the oil anywhere from three to 4,000 miles. That's good. And with all this synthetic oil, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on going to synthetic oil for older cars like that, or should I just stay with the conventional oil? David, I would stay with what I had been using. I'm not a big proponent of ever changing the type of oil in an engine, particularly an engine with higher miles on it, simply because every time you do, all oils are basically pretty good, but the formulations that they use in them are sometimes non-compatible one with another. Mm -hmm. For instance, I've seen just going from the same exact 
ExxonMobil to, say, a Valvoline in the same viscosity and I'll make a car start using oil. Uh, just because either product is good, but the additive packages are not the same, and you can create problems. That high of a mileage, I don't think you're going to gain a whole lot by going to a synthetic. I mean, you, you've got a lot of life out of what you're doing now, so obviously you're doing pretty good. See, people mistakenly think that they can use synthetic oil and go longer, and that is not at all the case. A synthetic oil is a better detergent. It's a better cleaner. It's going to get dirty faster than regular oil does. It may be tougher as far as oxidizing the oil, but the contaminants are going to be even higher with a synthetic oil than they are with a conventional oil. Especially if you took one out now with that kind of mileage you're talking right. about. It's going to go right. to work trying to clean up whatever's in that engine, and it's going to start producing a whole bunch of debris. I would stay exactly with what you're doing now. Yeah. I don't ever, I don't believe in the high mileage oils. All that is just marketing. It's just something to sell, folks. Right. One oil for the life of the car, and you hit the nail on the head the reason you're getting so many miles out of these cars because you're changing three to four thousand miles and you're using you're using the same weight oil and the same brand oil that's right for the most part right yeah yeah that's that's the only reason i was even thinking synthetic because i said well you know i'm getting in my mid 50s now instead Mm -hmm. of getting up underneath there every you know month or two maybe i could stretch it out every four or five months no i think you'd be doing yourself a real disservice in fact if you go on my website and just type in the word synthetic it'll bring up an article should i be using synthetic and it'll go over all these points with you another article on how to change your own oil and i'm sure you know a lot about it but this may give you some tips that you maybe hadn't thought of maybe make something easier for you but just go in there and type in the word oil change in the search bar, and it's going to bring up a ton of articles, lots and lots of information on the site on oils and oil changes. Okay. Well, All I right. appreciate it, guys. Thank All you right. very much. Thanks, All right, man. Sir. For your show. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, right, we'd certainly love to have you. That is one of the things that I really, truly advocate for folks who want to save some money on car repair is to do their own oil changes. Sure. That is one thing where you can save a fairly significant amount of money over the long haul. Not one oil change is going to save you a ton, but you figure that if you're going to be doing them every two to three months, and if you have, like David, four different cars, that can add up to a fair amount of money. Certainly not difficult, and in many cases, you can do a better job than the professional shop is going to do simply because you have way more time to do it. That's right. Shop is generally going to be rushed, and... When they rush through, they're not going to let the old oil drain out as completely as you might. They may or may not torque oil pan, oil pan drain, drain plug. Bolt. One of the leading reasons I've heard people say why they don't torque a drain plug is they don't know what to torque it to. Well, now if you go on our website, right there on the main page, there's a whole category on all drain plug specifications. And all you have to do is register to be able to download that information. No charge for it at all. It's all free. And it has vehicles, all the domestic and Asian vehicles, all the way up to 2013. So now you got the information. I'm not saying that shops don't tar drain plugs. Many of them do. But if you do it yourself, then you know that's being done. Another thing with a shop or a quick loop, as opposed to doing it yourself, may or may not be as careful in the oil selection, may not use as good a filter, may not use as good an oil. Correct. So that's one of those things where you can actually do a better job than you're going to probably be able to get done, save some money, and plus it's really kind of a fun thing to do, particularly if you can get your children involved, start showing them a little bit about the car, teaches them a little bit about how to take care of a car, why they need to take care of a car. Right, because the better you take care of it, the longer it's going to last for you. And the price of today's cars, man, it's 
I'd, I'd rather be driving my old one that's paid for than trying to support a new car note right now. Boy, ain't that the truth. Yeah, you, you're talking thirty, forty thousand bucks 40000 bucks for a car, for an average car nowadays. Right. And, and way, way more for anything that's even halfway nice. And you can jump up in some serious, serious change real fast, real quick. And I had a lady I like a lot who had written this week, and she said she's thinking about buying a new car. And the car she's got's fairly low mileage. It's a very nice automobile. And like I told her, I said, ma'am, I think you're probably trading in a better car than what you're getting. Uh-huh. So I'm not sure if that's what you want to hear. <laughs> right. I hear that. But, yeah, you may, be, you may have a better car than what you're going to get. Hey, Bert, hold on. You're up straight up after this break. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to Final Segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tune Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And that's what Bert did. Good morning, Bert. Hey, good morning. Yes, good sir. Good morning. I ain't got a good question for it about oil. You bet. So, heard a lot of things about it. Mm-hmm. I use it all over the East Coast. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on oil additive to a motor with 50-plus thousand miles? I don't use any additives at all, Bert. There's no additive that I've ever seen that any of the big three actually or any car maker actually recommends. There's nothing that you can put in an oil that just dumping more in is going to help it. Regular right. brand name oil has got everything that you're ever going to need, and putting more or less of any one thing is not going to change things. None of that stuff is ever recommended, and under certain conditions, it can do problems. I just don't ever use any kind of additives in my cars or any car that I service. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, Mr. Right. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to report on the automotive, we'd love to have you. We're going back to our phone lines with Stephen. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. Yes, sir. Morning. I'd like to continue the discussion on oil and oil changes mm-hmm. and stuff. I'm actually a mechanical engineer mm-hmm. or a liability engineer more specifically. Mm-hmm. And what I find is that 3,000 miles, I don't know if that's the optimum frequency. I mean, a lot of it's not. There's no mileage that's going to be optimum. The conditions you're operating the equipment under is going to determine the oil change. Right. And then, I mean, you just mentioned how, like, most manufacturers, I mean, they don't recommend additives or anything like that. That is correct. Well, they also recommend, like, for a lot of cars, 7,500 miles for oil change. Yes. You know, but you got to look at the criteria under which they are making that recommendation. Manufacturers of cars are rated on their maintenance schedule. The longer the maintenance schedule, the better ratings they get. That car is going to make it through their warranty period, which is going to be probably thirty to 50,000 miles. Also, the engineer designed the car, designed it for 100,000 miles. That's the extreme. 
it will make it 100,000 miles or 7,000 mile oil changes. It's just you got to throw it away at the end of that. The problem with oil changes are every argument I've ever seen against it, folks will say, well, I analyzed the oil and it was still had an oxidized. Well, yeah, yeah, it won't oxidize. However, How much there trash is tons of contaminants that get into oil. Every time you crank it up, moisture condenses. If you're driving a short distance, all this moisture builds up. It's a liquid contaminant. It's going right through the oil filter, and it's going to start eating the engine away. Coolant leaks into almost every engine out there. Slight amount gets past the head gasket, gets past the intake gaskets. It's in the oil. It's a liquid contaminant. It's going right through the oil filter. So the only way to get these out is with a drain and fill. What happens if you have a car that you're driving 50, 60, 100 miles at a time, it gets to full temperature. All that stuff boils. The PC system sucks it out of steam. That's great. You can go five, 6,000 miles. If you got like most people, you go into the beauty shop, you're cutting it off. You go into church, you're cutting it off. You go into the grocery store, you're cutting it off. You're driving two to three, five miles at a time. That stuff is not getting out of there. So mileage is not any indication of all change need. What is is the driving conditions. Most people are under extreme conditions without realizing it. In fact, the term extreme condition, in my opinion, should be changed to normal, and what they call normal should be changed to ideal. That's the problem. And that's why most people are going to be way better off changing way more often. If you're looking at the overall cost, how much does an oil change cost compared to the price of an engine? A lot But A lot. Yeah. <laughs> so if you got to air, why not air to the good side? If you just don't know and you're taking a lot of short trips, you're going to be way better off changing that all around 3,000 miles than you are pushing out to five, six, or seven. Because what we see since they've gone to this, I'd say, what, the last 10 years or so? Yeah. The amount of seals that we're changing because the seals are getting hard because all of the additives that keep seals pliable is going away. We're changing rear main seals, valve cover gaskets, timing cover seals on a daily basis. The number of timing chains, the number of worn out camshafts, I mean, it's just astronomical. I have changed more motors in the last three years than I did in the first 40 years that I've been servicing cars. I guess the point I wanted to get to is there's all this talk about, okay, if you have a high-mileage car, should mm-hmm. you use, like, what kind of oil you should use, synthetic, all that stuff? Yeah, just stay with the I same would, oil, man. Yeah, like, go with the, the normal oil, but what I w- would recommend is upgrading a filter. Like, oh, absolutely. A nicer filter is absolutely. a good, good thing to do. Yeah, you're perfect. And you, Stephen, I recommend the OEM filter. I'm not saying it's the best, but it's always a good filter. If you don't have any other way of knowing, at least you know you got a good filter if you're using the original equipment filter. So that's why we always recommend that. And I'm sorry, we're just totally out of time. Joe and Wayne, I apologize. We ran out of time. Maybe you can send me an email or call us back again next week. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and give us a written rating. We really appreciate that. That's right. I really do appreciate your ratings. It kind of lets us know we're doing a good job and kind of moves up on the ratings as well. There you go. So. We'll make the top one day. There you Shortly. go. Sooner or later. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.